Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Feeling good? Jeez. Oh, we is this? Are we going to start like yeah, this? Let's go. This is <laughs> how? Come on. <laughs> We're 14 seconds in. Hey, everyone. How are hey, you? Hey, hey. How's it going, Jason? I'm really good. Why can't Why can't we start normally? I don't know. Maybe don't we know. just Maybe we've just exhausted that the way we have started these. Things, I know. So, so usually <laughs> I say, "Hey, Chris," and you say, "Hey, Jason." But you know what? We're up to episode 20 or something, 25, and uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to mix it up. So we're going to start with hysterical laughter. No, it's true. We We might as well let people know the way it really is. Yeah, it's I mean, just yeah, yeah, it's true. It it's is true. Hey, I got a question for you. Yes. What's your deal these days? We haven't talked about pandemic stuff lately. Like, are, are you guys doing what we're doing, which is just trying to get as many needles and arms as possible? Or are you doing something else? We are definitely doing that. But, well, look, I'll just say it. Yesterday, we are completely back to normal. So, you wow. know, this is a, th- these are funny concepts, but it's like you can now stand up and have a beer at a pub mm-hmm. with unlimited people. We can have weddings. We can have no people, masks, no um, masks. We are completely okay. back to normal. We still <laughs> are on the, we have had a, we've had 909 deaths in a country of 25 million people. And yes, the jabs are going out and they're going out in the same the fashion. Jabs. The jabs. So, yeah. And you guys doing two, two, like one and then another three, four weeks later? I think we got the AstraZeneca one. Or the, I think we're getting the one. I can't remember. But yeah, totally back to normal. It's a- but the interesting thing is the difference with you guys, if I remember right, is if they even have a case somewhere, they shut down the area, right? Like it's a it's a much more of a over-the-top kind of close-it-all-down response if anybody tests positive at all, right? Yes, and we have an army of contract tracers and these contact tracers are unbelievable. So you don't lie to the contract tra- tracers? Oh, so that came up yesterday. Two women lied to contact tracers. They got, oh. they got prison sentences. Oh. Oh, oh man, there yeah. would be so many people in jail here. We took this seriously. Now the the counter argument is, oh my God, we shut the country down, we killed the economy, and we, yeah, we're in massive sure. debt. Our job, our version of payroll protection. Yeah, the here, PPP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very expensive here, yeah. but what's happened? And cases where large companies have pocketed that money and they've been demanded to send it back to the government. It's uh-huh. Interesting problems. But now we're seeing we're back on a growth tear. But I was listening to something the other day where a couple of contrarian economists are like, "That's ridiculous! You killed the economy." And when you ice, when you close the states down, you have mental health issues. You have these other issues that happen that could be worse than the pandemic. In my right. case, nothing's as bad as this COVID thing because there are twenty-seven different strains. It's not like the common cold. We have no idea what the long-term effects are. Yeah. So I think it's worth it. Sad to hear that there is a new study that talks about people who are having really weird Mm. uh, reactions, like even a month, two after the fact, there's all these long haulers. That's all scary stuff. Mm. And there's a new study that talks about mental health problems that are not necessarily from isolation, but from the disease. Yeah. Like it's, there's some people, who are experiencing delusion after they're they've gotten over the disease which is that's just terrifying yeah. that you could have a virus that gives you mental 
illness. It's yeah. The great news from the states is that we are moving fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the it's a massive task because there's 300 and however million people, but it's going really well. It's going ahead of the plan, and there's lots and lots of functional stuff going on with government right now, which we haven't seen in a while. So that is really a nice change. Yeah. But hey, this is our first marketing person. Yeah. You introduced us to Tom Kelly. Yeah. Uh, we're about to inter- we're about to meet him in an interview that you and I did. He ran the Jordan brand for a little while over at Nike, and he has all sorts of really great ideas about really being bold and pushing ideas hard. So I thought, Jason. Yes, Chris. You need to answer questions about the greatest advertising campaigns oh, in history. Oh, gosh, what a guess. Easy. I've got this. You've got I know you. Yeah. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. You know we got theme music for this, <laughs> stuff, right? Here it comes. Theme music. Okay, there we go. All right, ready? This, this ad kicked off a major ad campaign. It showed 80-year-old jogger Walt Stack trudging across the Golden Gate Bridge during his daily 17-mile run. The message was simply beyond explanation, and it was just a quick rallying cry for people who wanted to push themselves to new heights. The slogan's now more than 25 years old, and to this day convinces people that they too can be athletes if they choose to. What is it? Nike just doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> nice job. Thank you. Okay, so I, I said that's a that's kind of an easy one, mm. considering the guy that we. Uh, you yeah. know, I shouldn't I shouldn't take it away from you. Like Thank that. you. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Number two. Ready? Mm-hmm. This was a famous ad that kicked off a whole new realm of advertising that started first during the 1984 Super Bowl. Oh, it was a visual. It was a visually stunning ad that basically claimed that unlike George Orwell's dystopian vision, this time was a time when technology be used as a revolutionary tool for people to express their individuality. Which is amazing given where we are in 2021 with social media, that that the the social dilemma, the movie where social media has gone. The campaign you're speaking Mm -hmm. of is the Apple commercial, I think. And it's a a woman running through and everyone's watching 1984 and everyone smashes the screen. And it was extraordinary. It's a great story in that Walter Isaacson book about Steve Jobs and his very intimate role in that. He was all over that. And, yeah. Um, hey, do you do you want a bonus yeah. question off of this? Yeah, I'm too familiar. Who direct? Who's the famous oh. Hollywood director that directed Spielberg? The, the commercial? No, Ridley Scott. Scott, no. Yeah. Oh. That that I do remember that. I remember the sledgehammer being tossed through the big screen. Mm-hmm. That was so cool. And I think, in particular, if you're from America, like that's just like exactly oh. what you're looking for every day. You Isn't that the rebellion? Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that's basically like blowing up the Death Star. Just, re- just related to that really quickly. That, that yeah. think different. Think different was the tagline for Apple, and the yeah. ad exec said to um, Steve Jobs, "Well, it should be think differently." <laughs> He's like, "No, it's think different, or you're fired." Right. Let, let, you, there's always such a massive mistake when somebody comes in for like a slogan and right. says, "Well, let's apply the spell check." To it. <laughs> like, no, dude. No, I mean. If we did that, we certainly wouldn't be on the recombobulator lab. <laughs> right, exactly. But hey, guess what? We've got a unique spot on the web because of it. So there you go. Yep. All right. Back when this ad came out, drunk drivers were involved in 50% of car accident deaths, and that number in the U.S. is now down to 31. So this new ad, it, this was an ad that was put out by the Ad Council in 1983. 
the problem, I'm being a bit of a jerk because this is like, if you were an American and you were around, you would have seen this, but you wouldn't have been around in 1983. It was mad. It was it was it was mums against drunk driving. That's a really good guess. But it's that's sort of like the cousin of this one. Yeah, okay. Well, this is the ad council, which is actually a quasi-governmental organization. It's a PSA. It's a PSA, and it was friends
Hey Chris, do you ever get the sense that humanity is sprinting off a cliff toward mass extinction? What with sea levels rising, more homeless polar bears, more bushfires, more singed koala bears? Man, the bears really are feeling the brunt of this stuff. Well, absolutely. Well, what if I said that a humble car company could fix all our woes? A car company, you say? A car company that doubles as an energy company. A car company that doubles as an energy company? Like it offers massive-sized combustion engines that you fill with petrol to run a city's power? You're clearly on the goes again, Jason. Stone cold sober, my friend. And what I mean is an electric car company who takes the batteries that power their cars, makes way bigger versions of them that can power a city. Oh, right. Uh, and that exists? Like in your tiny Australian imagination? It exists and it's operating and it's called Tesla. Tesla has been powering 30,000 homes in Adelaide, Australia for the past year using a gigantic car battery, sort of, saving residents 116 million Australian dollars and reducing the cost to run the existing power grid by 91%. And it only took them 70 days to set it up and plug the bastard in. Whoa, that's amazing. And what was that little environmental bit for this episode? No, no, it's not just some little environmental bit. I'm here to announce the Tesla, the car company that can power your city. Or Tesla, the energy company that can power your car, is a new sponsor of the lab. So get the Behind the wheel of a Tesla or power your city with a Tesla. Either way, you're saving all the bears, polar and koala, reversing global warming and doing it all stylishly and silently. Shouldn't we tell Texas about this? Probably. All right, this week we welcome Tom Kelly, a Nike veteran and consumer obsessed brand builder. He's now consulting and uh, looking at building an agency. Full disclosure, Tom and I lived around the corner from each other. Our kids were at school together in Portland. Tom, welcome to the lab. Jason, good to see you and good to, good to talk to you and Chris today. Yeah. Welcome to the lab. One of the things we talk about on the show is false choices from looking at the ad campaigns of Nike during your time there. It seems clear to me there was really great courage to send a message that making society better and making people people better can go hand in hand with being a successful company. I'm thinking specifically of the everyone's an athlete ads that featured women competing in hijabs and others with artificial limbs. I'm also thinking of the Colin Kaepernick campaign. Just would love to hear what you can tell us about that, that whole phase. Yeah. So what, what's, what's interesting, I've been around uh, Nike advertising for 25 years. I did a bunch of time in the nineties at Widen and Kennedy. And then this, this most recent stint Nike. And what's fun about the stuff that you're talking about is I, I get to talk about it as an observer because I didn't really have anything directly to do it. And, you know, it goes back to a core principle, I think, that that exists, you know, around Nike, which is people listen to the voice of the athlete. When Nike does that, it's it's an incredibly powerful sort of backbone to what it is that they're doing. And, you know, Nike also believes, and it's it's part of the mission statement, if you have a body, then you're, you're an athlete. And that combined with the brand promise of just do it sets a platform to be timely, to be relevant, to be um, brave uh, with what the points of view are. And, and you know, as, as observers and consumers of that type of messaging that now is more and more pervasive uh, within society, I think in a really good way, um, I think Nike has always been really good about listening to what the athletes are saying, listening to what the people that they are deeply, deeply vested in have to say about those types of things. And I think it sets them up for a point of view that the world is better with sport. And, and Nike is the tireless advocate of that. Yeah. And j- just to go in there a little bit more, though, Tom, I mean, it's obvious to me that 
somebody had to know that as soon as you do something like the Colin Kaepernick campaign, which turned out to be an amazing amount of foreshadowing, by the way, you're going to have some people burning your shoes, right? I mean, there's going to be some people who don't get the message the way you intended, or they do and they don't care. Uh, But I mean, I just, I can only imagine, I mean, what it's like to have to make a decision like that as a business where you have a fiduciary duty as well. That's all. Yeah, no, I think, I think that it, it requires a tremendous amount of character and bravery um, to make a stand in any aspect of your life, whether it's Nike or whether it's you as an individual or you as a, a grade school or whatever it's going to be. Having a point of view, especially in this day and age, can be a very controversial thing. And I yeah. think it's important to understand sort of the context of Nike and honestly, the, the, the leadership there, which is treating employees and athletes, you know, as employees as well. And it goes back to what we said is listening to that voice and not being afraid to put a stake in the ground and to take a stand on mm-hmm. things. And, you know, when you look at Nike from its earliest days and one of the key athletes, the first athlete that was that was part of the Nike program was Steve Prefontaine. And he was very much active in social justice issues and very much active in lobbying on behalf of athletes getting paid and different rights and things. And it's, it's kind of that heritage has been part of the backbone of what I think modern marketing has become. Um, certainly a modern sports conversation mm. and very, very much sort of what what the Nike ethos has been. Uh, just off of that, as you think um, out in the world beyond Nike, and what other like I'm just trying to think of other brands that have done that sort of level of really nailing their heart um, externally and really like I think Patagonia is another brand like that. What other brands are out there? I mean, in that space, I can't think of many. They're pretty vanilla-ish, aren't they? Well, that's interesting you say that because that that's kind of what I was getting at. I think it's tough because even if you want to take a stance on these sorts of things and you want to be real, I mean, it's just, there's got to be a lot of pressure on particularly a large public company to do those sorts of things. And I think if you have the right kind of leadership, you have the right kind of influence, certainly you can do it. But I, I don't know if there's a lot of other examples that are as big mm-hmm. and have taken as many stances that are, are sort of forward thinking about both the environment and social justice issues and athletes and equality in athletes. That, that it's just, it's hard to think of too many um, organizations that have done that. Do you have any in mind, Tom, when you think in the... I remember Patagonia's private, but are there other really big companies where you think, wow, they're brave? Bravery and standing for the right thing are are not necessarily in conflict <laughs> with each other, not necessarily in agreement. <laughs> um, That's a fair point. And, and so I would say I, I was blown away by by something I saw sort of announced yesterday through, through social media, and it was... The Foot Locker, they made a pledge six months ago to donate $200 million plus over the next five years to be able to advocate and create programs around sort of black people within and around their culture, the culture of sneakers, the culture of sport. And to me, that is incredibly brave in, a, in a, maybe a different way than doing an ad that's going to get you to remember it. And I think a company like, you know, like Foot Locker to make that kind of statement is a really powerful thing because they're putting action almost ahead of posture and it's that to me requires a very different kind of bravery that's really interesting we met and uh, during your time at nike you, you developed this my favorite ad in the world which is 100 recycled which as the name suggested pulled together past um, nike campaigns into one tight um, advertisement that really spoke about the commitment to the planet delivering the very best
best sports gear. Can you speak about how you were able to review Nike's vast catalogue of ads and create something so creative and powerful? Because I just felt it was so clever. Yeah, no, that was that one was super fun to work on. And it was, you know, one of the sort of right time and right people being able to kind of create that in the right platform, to be honest with you, leveraging a lot of the stuff that Nike had been doing for years and years and having a consumer facing point of view on it really probably for the first time. It always helps when you create an ad like that to have the best ad agency in the world working on it. And that was, you know, you've got to give props to the Wyden and Kennedy team that we were working with for really sort of developing the communications and working very deeply with that squad. And it was something where, you know, they, they this is when it's great to be the client. Um, they had done the mining and had come up with that as a concept and had some really, really brilliant copywriting that was part of it. And they went through and kind of had that as a, as a thematic. And then, you know, as you can imagine, for those of us in, in the business, it's uh, the business affairs and clearance team that had to work on that. That was that was who the real superheroes were in getting all those things approved because that was, you know, ads that were used over 20 or 30 years. I mean, including some of the original Just Do It campaign footage to the most recent stuff that we were doing and just a, an amazing sort of editing, you know, masterpiece. For people who don't realize this, one of the cool things that Nike has done around town, and it may be something it's done all over the place, I don't know, is you can find places and parts of the town in public parks and things like that where Nike has done something to shore something up. Like, for example, in, in Grant Park, there is a basketball court that's made with recycled basketball shoes or recycled shoes, generally. And it's really nice. <laughs> and you can tell, but it's really cool to have a community partner that is also thinking about things like, you know, how do you recycle shoes and things like that. So that's just something people might not know. In terms of people knowing, I mean, the doing part of it is pretty widespread. I mean, I think Nike's been involved in doing stuff at a grassroots level, enabling people to play sport, whether that's, you know, helping facilitate leagues or whatever the, the specific barriers just to participating in sport are, to going and refurbishing and doing things. I mean, you look at a lot of the great work that's being done in places like Chicago and New York that, that Nike's doing that is is, you know, really, really powerful helping the infrastructure of sport as well as making sure anybody that wants to play um, has access to it. And I think that's that's a, a, a super important piece of, of the equation as well. So you see culture in a company is crucial to delivering results. I mean, how do you create a healthy culture? If, if culture goes sideways, how do you course correct? You And I'm thinking this doesn't have to be a Nike question, obviously, right? You've done stuff. You've worked in an ad agency. You've worked at Nike. And now you're moving on to opening up your own agency and doing consulting what's your what are your thoughts on that big question you know it's it's amazing i've been i've been blessed to get to work in some amazing cultures the culture ultimately in my view comes from the people that work there it's not the placards on the wall it's the interpretation of how people act and how they behave and what their intention is and i think the mm -hmm. people are the culture and i've had a chance to work in in a lot of different creative cultures and and consumer tech cultures and things like that and really it comes down to who are the people and how are they treating each other? And ultimately, I think there's probably three things that, that help make the kind of culture that's worth being in. One of them is clarity, uh, trust, and respect. Clarity, which serves you know with a degree of intention. What are we doing here? How sharp are we around the things that we're trying to do? What does it mean for me? And what is my obligation to you? And, and saying those things is a really important piece. 
Trust is Mm -hmm. the ability to deliver upon that. And trust is I'm going to do my job and I'm going to trust you to do your job. And together we're going to do a job that's going to, you know, be able to exceed our own expectations. And I think, you know, the last part about that is doing it in a way that is respectful. Do you have respect for the people that you're working with? Is there the space to have broad points of view? Is there the opportunity to have um, different types of people that are participating in those conversations? Are you truly reflective of the consumers that you're trying to serve? Are you helping take that conversation to a new place? And I think when those three things are in working in sync with each other, you get the opportunity to do what I think we all want to do professionally, which is to do great work. I happen to have gotten to work in you know the sports space or the, the creative space for a very long time. And those are the things that are really, really sort of paramount that encourage you then to be able to take risks and then take risks with open eyes yeah. and don't be afraid when it's appropriate to, you know, to hit the long ball, to, to go for it. Yeah. So Jason, just in case you didn't get that reference, the long ball is a baseball thing. It's a, it's when you hit a ball really far. You're such a knob. It's really? not the same. I know. Yeah, not as good as cricket. You know, I always say. Come on, I got to if I don't have one of those, you show. Checkers and chess, mate. <laughs> baseball and cricket. You play a little checkers. Oh, look at this. <laughs> oh, oh. So I'm curious around debunking this, right. actually back to your profession. What are the myths around marketing or or PR, or are there things that as the local punter looking at a brand dealing with something, is there something that consumers always think one way, but yet you in the in the middle of running a brand, driving a brand, is like, actually, it's a different thing. Those are the mm-hmm. sorts of myths we kind of unpick. Isn't that right, Chris? I've really said Yeah, that. unpack or unpack. Yeah, either one. Um, no, that's good. Unpick is what the Kiwis say. Take, oh, okay. Oh, they really yeah, see that? Okay. Okay. I thought that was South Africa. Tom, this is just happens, okay? Sorry. Don't let us scare you off. Back to you. Yeah. What, what do you what do you want to do with all this? Right. Well, one of the things that's interesting about that is as the marketing field has evolved, you know, over the course of the last, I would say 10 years specifically, and as the direct marketing sort of principles have worked their way into marketing overall, I think there's, you know, sort of tension in the conversation now between consumers as people that you serve or consumers as nodes of information. So I think one of the things to sort of that's important is to kind of remember that it's people that are at the other end of the data chart stream thing that you're looking at. How do you want to connect with them? And it's not just about a 0.02% click-through rate on a web banner that's going to get you to do the blue one or the green one if it's going to increase. It's remembering that to be effective in this business at all, you need to be able to have some stopping power and get people to notice you. And it's like everybody's life is going on just fine without you interrupting it as a marketer. So how are you earning your way into that conversation? How are you taking them someplace new? Are you allowing them to finish a story or complete, you know, sort of the sentence for themselves? How do you start to do, you know, really, really sort of great work in this field? And I think when marketing people forget that, then you get a whole lot of whitewash. And I think that's been, you know, one of the truest tests of times is that there is a whole lot of whitewash in 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 the marketing field. And Oh, yeah. Right. The commercials you see from major companies that seem completely recycled and very, very just huge budgets, but like just crap content, just nothing original, nothing interesting, just the same yeah. stuff. Over it's just, just, I'm just, not naming the name. No, but it's, it's, you know, in this business, it's like, okay, then that's why the, the, there's such a premium on, on, you know, high octane creative talent. 
It's it's mm. remembering that mm. you know what are the different ways that you're going to connect with somebody, and and we have more ways now than we ever have before. I think in a really mm. kind of fun and different you know sort of evolution. But it's how do you how do you make a difference? How do you break through? And and again, just because you've written a great brief as a marketer doesn't mean that you're you're allowing great communications to happen. And how do you sort of push that? Yeah. Not not controversy for controversy's sake or edge for edge's sake. That's even worse, actually, but it's remembering who it is that you're trying to have an impact on and knowing yourself well enough and knowing your gut, having a great gut on what's going to make that impact. And that's a combination of, you know, science, of course, but also there's a, there's a whole lot of art to it. Yeah. I, I want to swing to a, a slightly different topic as I think back to all of the incredible work you've done at Nike with, with the one particular one that comes to mind is Michael Jordan. So you ran the Jordan brand, just the whole concept of an athlete creating their own brand within a brand is so cool. And then about six yeah. months or so ago, the world in enjoyed the last dance and as having sons who are obsessed with basketball it was a really cool time to sit down and think through that period a period where i think the three of us was kind of in the height of i don't know it was just a remarkable time for us and then to reflect back on it and watch a younger generation teenagers go oh my lord and that story can you talk a little bit about your time managing the jordan brand at nike because it's such a it's going to be a great story i know (laughs) yeah no i mean that was one of the sort of the highlights of of my career was getting to work with that team and really work with you know sort of michael and his uh extended team as well um to be able to continue what started literally what started you know even before the last dance in terms of just who he was as a person and an athlete. I mean, just absolutely amazing sort of transformational figure. And, you know, when I was working on it, it was like the, the the biggest challenge was, you know, you're a steward of this incredible brand and how can you honor it and take it someplace new? And so that's the kind of the constant challenge that you have with something like that, which is personified by someone who's only a couple of years older than, you know, than all of us or some of us a lot older, but for myself, you know, mm-hmm. or five years older that we got to watch, you know, sort of growing up. And and to your point, Jason, it's like when the last came out, um, what was great about that is it introduced a different aspect of who Michael Jordan was to people like our sons who are crazy about sneaker culture. Jordan is equated with excellence, Mm. but you got to unpack the myth. And what you saw was what we all remember this I'm going through for the first time was what an intense competitor and what made him great. You got a little mm-hmm. bit of a peek under the hood around what made Michael great. You saw that, you know, it, it wasn't always a pretty place to be. I mean that in, you know, there's some very intense conversation. I, I thought that was just awesome, you know, having gone through that and get, gotten to, to witness it as, you know, sort of a fan back in the 90s to get to see that aspect of him again. And you think about it and, and one of the other all-time greats that sort of grew up in Jordan's shadow was Kobe Bryant. And you see how Kobe was known for his intensity and for his edge. And he was just modeling that off Michael. That was the thing that was, mm-hmm. you know, so, sort of so fun to see kind of come, come alive again. And um, both of them have, you know, incredible legacies and it was driven by by that insatiable will to win and, and being competitive in every single aspect of their lives. And, and it's been it's been great to sort of get to see that and give Michael credit for that again and introduce him, reintroduce him to uh, to culture in that way was, was really fun to see. So what's the lifespan of that brand? I mean, it's fascinating. He's been mm. off the court for 25, 30 years. And then of course, beyond, you've got lots of sub-brands under Nike. You've got different players with their own brand of shoe. Like, is, my, is there ever a time in your mind where you think like, well, we're just going to have to moth Ball that brand. I mean, it's just not relevant enough. Or do you just feel it's so powerful that it can just keep going? Mothball the Jordan brand? Yeah. I mean, I just think like, I think of my son's son. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. of my son's son. 
down. Listener, down if you could road. only see his face, his face is sort of like Jason. You have lost your I'm mind. So, I'm just like I'm so confused. It's it's a forever brand. Again, I I, I think that would be a uh, I think that would be a pretty long shot. Um, but you think about it, it's like you know that's a baseball uh, term. That's right. Lo- yeah. Yeah, long shot. Yep. But you, you look at uh, you know, you, actually, it's racing. Yeah. You look, you look at Converse and you look at Chuck Taylor, and, and Chuck Taylor was a guy who was uh-huh. a basketball player back yeah, in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. And so, yeah, I, none of us have actually seen Chuck Taylor play basketball. What? Remember, we all know right. what Chuck Taylors are. Yeah. Well, maybe Jason. Had. But can you and, and yeah. can you talk a little bit about the next chapter? You you're building a consultancy, potentially a new agency. It'd be great to understand where where you want to take that. Yeah. No, I'm I'm having a ton of fun. Um, a lot of I've been in around the creative you know industry in the broadest sense for a long, long time. Whether it's at agencies or emerging consumer technologies or even in athletic footwear and apparel. And so. It's a chance for me to get to put together a little bit of a greatest hits and, and partner up with some folks that I've worked with in the past and go and apply, you know, our, our wares against multiple categories. You know, some of the most exciting stuff is getting getting outside of athletic footwear and apparel and thinking differently about different kinds of brands and, and consumer journeys that people are on. So without without getting into too much detail, I'm super excited to be able to go and, and, and start that as a service and take, you know, a process and points of view that you develop over time that are relatively proven to go and kind of into new territory. And you, know, you get to a point in your career where it's 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 time to get scared again. And for me, that that point hit, and it was time. It's time to go get excited and go do something that's a little more unexpected. Um, and that's super, you know, pumped about, you know, setting up the next act in uh, in this play. All right. Well, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing this with us. Uh, that's really inspiring stuff. And we're looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jason. Good to good to hear your voice. Um, Chris, nice meeting you, and I look forward to uh, to continuing this conversation in some way, shape, or form. Awesome. Thank you. Wow, Tom Kelly. Yeah. Not messing around. Phenomenal. What a combo. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun. I, I, I learned a ton listening to him and, and he's just been at this heart of so many big, big moments. Hey, I wanted to make sure everybody knew how much we appreciated what they've been doing. We've recently gotten some suggestions on directions to go, and we really appreciated that. We'd like to get more of that. We've also really appreciated you guys passing us along to friends who you think will like us and, and giving us those reviews. So thanks so much for all that. Got to keep uh, thanking you for that. It's just, it's just great. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right. Well, hey, everybody. We'll see you next week. See you. See you, everyone. Joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time.